Okay, everyone, good afternoon, good evening, and good morning, wherever you may be around the world joining us uh, or tuning in after the day um, and watching this recording of this fine group of industry leader panels. Um, I'm delighted to be introducing my fellow panelists today, um, and we're going to be talking, discussing the topic of Project Restart, the new era for international education. I'm joined by Ross Holmes, the Executive Director of Digital Services at ISEF, Alexandra Argenti, the CEO of Travelmate and the President of Belta in Brazil, Karen Vega, who is the External Relations Director at Global Connection in Colombia, Chris, Christopher Medirata, who is the President and Chief Operating Officer of ILSC Education, and Cam Harvey, who is the EVP of Sales and Marketing at CAT Global Schools. So first of all, a big welcome to you all and a thank you for attending today. Um, just a quick note that this uh, Industry Leaders event is sponsored by Terrawind, one of our uh, insurance partners who you are able to find on the Advisor Insurance Marketplace. If you do want to learn more about the marketplace, please do give a shout out to your account manager at Advisor to find out more. Um, now, we are going to jump straight into the topics. This is obviously one that people are very keen to hear about, um, the restarting of things and how are, how are things at the moment and what is the future going to look like. Um, I'm going to start off with uh, the first topic that we want to cover, which is looking at what is the current landscape for the industry. So I wondered if our panellists could maybe give a quick insight from their perspectives um, on, and from their markets in terms of how things are going so far. Um, and I'm actually going to hand over to Christopher, first of all, to, to lead us with this conversation. Thank you very much, Ben. Nice to see everyone today. Um, from ILSC and Greystone College's perspective, we're seeing increased demand and, and strong demand, particularly in Canada, um, as the Canadian borders open to fully vaccinated travelers as of September 7th. And we're seeing that momentum really build nicely into schools and, and into growth across all three of our Canadian locations. And um, Languages Canada is seeing the same thing across its, across its members. So really excited about that. And I think, as I'm sure other panel members will, will attest, we're seeing strong demand for work and study opportunities, as well as um, long-term study opportunities. So pathways, um, working to language and college pathways or language and university pathways. And our Australian schools, um, we see really strong demand there as well, and we eagerly look forward to the Australian government opening the border and allowing uh, international travel. We expect that to resume um, late Q1, early Q2, um, given the vaccination rates that are happening there. So really excited about the future and excited to see and welcome more and more students each and every month into our schools. Wonderful. And Karen, how about a bit of a perspective from Colombia? How are you finding things at the moment? Well, thank you, Wayne. Well, the landscape has changed dramatically where traditional language schools move their programs from in person to online. I guess that during this period, we have seen countries and also institutions that have managed to adapt to a new reality, having an emerging growth. As Christopher mentioned, Canada is a clear example of this with initiatives like validating the online portion of an academic program, the postgraduate work permit, and offering courses for international students like the University Pathway Program Online, as ILSC does. Students are looking for open destinations and countries that are bearing heavily on the vaccination of their population, like the United States, Canada, and 
the Arab Emirates and Dubai are becoming potential options for them in Colombia. Interesting. And Alex, are you seeing that those sort of trends in Brazil as well? Yes. Uh, hello, everyone. Um, yeah, it's uh, actually the, what I see in Brazil. It's about uh, kind of the same thing that Karen just mentioned. Uh, Brazilians are always ready to go abroad. You know, international education has been so popular here for so many years. So at this point, uh, Brazilians are going or are buying new programs to places that are already open for Brazilian students. So, and as just mentioned, you know, Canada, US, uh, Dubai, these places, you know, are already open for Brazilians. So uh, people are looking for more for these programs at this point. I would say that at this point, the agents in Brazil are already facing uh, sales numbers at about 60 to 70% of pre-pandemic uh, numbers. Uh, I believe that uh, these numbers may get back to our pre-pandemic pre numbers uh, during the second uh, term of uh, 2022. Because, you know, Brazilian, uh, the Brazilian year usually picks up in March because before Carnival, it, it seems that everybody wants to take a, a whole year, you know. So usually the market starts booming in March. So especially for March, April, and so I believe we're going to have a pre-pandemic numbers again. So and then right after that, we believe that in the second semester of 2022, maybe all the borders are going to be 100% open for Brazilians. Also the visa processing times and everything. So I believe that from the second semester of 2022 and on, we may we may experience in Brazil uh, numbers that have never been uh, bigger than before, you know. So uh, I really see a positive uh, future for our industry in Brazil uh, throughout 2022. So uh, I think that's uh, basically what I can say at this point. Okay, good. And, and Cam? You obviously have uh, schools in the UK um, and, 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 and in the US, of course, as well, and Canada. So tell, tell us a bit more about your perspective on things. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, overall, definitely, we're, we're seeing things pick up. We're seeing a return. The demand is there. Uh, that, that demand dam, if you will, is beginning to, to burst, which is great news. Um, it, it also seems to be quite regionally based. Um, I think, you know, certainly the, the, the strength of demand for Canada and to the U.S. out of Latam is very strong, and in many ways, from from a sales or booking perspective, we're ahead. Uh, you know, in, in the last few months from from 2019, so it's 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 really really encouraging. Um, whereas in the U.K., um, you know, it, it, again, there's sort of more sort of a regional demand. So, so a lot of the European markets, um, if they're not on the red list, red list has definitely been a, a, a major factor. Uh, for, for not getting in more students from certain countries. But if you're not on the red list, then it is, you know, we are seeing strong demand for the UK. Um, and, and also a lot, just, just I think in terms of the, you know, Christopher touched on it a little bit as, as well as uh, Alexander and, and Karen, that is that the longer term, the academically oriented programs definitely seem to be more in demand. It's like there's a certain date in the calendar, um, you know, assuming there's there's clarity on what the quarantine rules are, or if they're vaccinated, that they aren't, then that has made a big difference. And even within language, language, some of the bookings that we're seeing are longer term. I think that what's going to be last to come back, probably towards the end of 2022, maybe you know, in, in summer, are the short term bookings. 
I think until there's complete clarity on, on what the rules are for, for entering vaccinations, traveling, um, I think probably the short-term language booking will be will be the last to come back to, to pre-pandemic levels. Interesting. That's interesting. And and obviously we have Ross here as well from, from ISEF, our non-school and non-agent uh, participant today. Um, thanks for joining us, Ross. Obviously, what we wanted to get your perspectives as well, because as, as things start to, to, to reopen and markets start to move and things like that, we'll see obviously activity um, between educators and agents as well. And that's where obviously where ISEP plays a big part in terms of its role with, uh, with, with workshops and things as well. How, how are you guys finding things so far um, and in terms of how, how things are progressing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, like everyone, we've seen that language was the worst affected sector um, and with students actually cancelling plans or perhaps looking for options in their home country. And I think we saw that particularly with some of the key European source countries, Switzerland, Germany, Italy and Spain. HU was more resilient. Um, there were more deferrals with students preferring to wait it out and in, you know to attend a course in person rather than online. Um, but students have started to travel again. Indians, Chinese and Russians um, are now traveling again, I'm told, mainly for HE. Um, UK picking up market share as a destination, particularly from Australia and from New Zealand as they remain closed. Also a little bit from the US as well. Um, but Canada remains the, the destination of choice for, for most places and for everywhere else. Um, back to the source country, there's a kind of a brief bright spot over the summer between March and May with, with Vietnam, um, but then Delta hit in June and businesses have closed and including the, uh, the embassies and consulates are still closed there. So that is back out. Um, the lasting market, aside from, from Latin America, which you guys have covered, seems to be the Middle East, mainly for HE, but also for, for language. Um, during the worst of the pandemic, the Saudi Scholarship Fund said it could still be applied for online study. So I know quite a few language schools that that was basically their only source of, their main source of new bookings, new students, um, when all the teaching was done online. Um, but now Middle Eastern students are travelling again for in-person classes, particularly for language. I was at English UK on Friday, so a conference for language schools in the UK. And uh, the, the feedback there was that they've got some students from Latin America, but it's students from the Middle East that are keeping the lights on. That's interesting. That's very interesting to hear because it's one of those markets that I think we hear drips and drabs of from, from advisor. We're obviously strongest in Latin America and in, and in Europe currently at the moment as well, as we look to expand our, our network globally a little bit more as well. And we, we see from our trends and data as well, markets like Turkey that are still very active. Um, obviously, Colombia and Brazil remain, you know, tremendously active at the moment, um, although maybe not transferring into students actually traveling. But obviously, we see the background data on, the, on that as well. Um, one thing I'd be interested to hear from, from your different perspectives as well, and I'm actually quite keen to hear this from an agency perspective as well, in particular, um, we see sort of peaks and troughs according to government announcements. So Cam alluded to the red list for the UK. So, you know, when someone goes on the red list, there's there's normally a reaction somewhere. And someone, when there's good news somewhere, there's normally a reaction as well. Um, and we saw this, this weekend, I'm not sure if you're all aware, but the government in New South Wales and Australia actually sort of implemented a, a new plan for getting students back as soon as possible as well. And um, from an agency perspective and from a school perspective, do you all see the relevant sort of, you know, adjustments? Do people come in and say, well, we saw this article, we're dying to go to New South Wales now? Or, or does it take a little bit longer to kind of drip feed through to the students at the end of the day as well? 
Um, I'm maybe going to go to Chris for that one first since I've mentioned New South Wales three times there. <laughs> uh, really excited by the program that's coming out in New South Wales and what's driving that is the uh, vaccination rates uh, there and across Australia are really picking up. There's always a, a bit of a lag between a public figure announcing that uh, the intention and actually seeing what rules are, are going to be part of the rollout. But I think um, that gives us a lot of comfort that Australia will be open soon uh, for international travels, uh, travelers. The New South Wales announcement is more for higher education to start um, with an expectation that Ellicott and vocational colleges um, will follow very quickly. Um, and I think that's a realization across the world and we're seeing that in Australia as well. Um, people wanna to return to normal, people want to citizens want to travel as well. And I think that helps kickstart the willingness. If you're thinking about citizens coming back home and what they need to go through, the recognition of how important international students are to the various economies in which we, uh, which we operate is really driving a willingness to welcome and, and really trying to find a solution to bring them back. So we are very excited in, in Australia and we, we see very quick reactions to government announcements and then we have to dig through, wait for the policy, wait for the regulation to help make sure we can bring our students through in a, in a way that makes it as painless as possible despite difficult regulations. And Karen or Alex, from an agency perspective, do you, do you find students, you know, suddenly coming and saying we've read this or we've seen this online, we want to, to react to that? Yeah, well, unfortunately, we can't control the exact date of our their opening in, in each country. However, we must provide the correct perspective of different destinations. The percentage of the population fully vaccinated in each country is on track. However, for a speedy recovery, there are two decisive points. Uh, first, there must be transparency regarding health requirements to travel and be clear with the investment and expectations in the education of each government to align our strategies based on current regulations. And second, well, we already know that both agencies and institutions must be prepared to adapt to these situations that cannot be predicted. So we don't know what will happen in the near future, but at this point, having technological tools and making alliance with specialized companies will make a difference for our students and our companies. Good stuff, Cam or Alex, have you got anything in, in your perspectives of those, those points? Yeah, actually, uh, there isn't much to add, you know, Surely in Brazil, any news that comes, any news that comes up, you know, people get crazy calling the Austin here and there. They want to know, am I ready to travel or not? So I say, come down, let us double check on this. So uh, for us, especially with Delta in Brazil, uh, you know, Delta has become so uh, uh, powerful during the pandemic. All the agents getting together to to make ourselves closer to the embassies and to the consulates here. So we've been working really close with everybody as soon as possible as any new comes up uh, and then uh, you know trying to really uh, bring updated information to all our associations and agents in Brazil just like for example about uh, just Canada you know it's kind of booming at this point as mentioned before because of the new rule, rules uh, now from September but there was a lot of issues last week uh, about the ETA uh, uh, permission for short-term programs or not 
So there was some kind of a confusion. So we, we, we got together really fast with Language Canada, with Catch-Eye, with the embassy, with the consulate, and to really, uh, you know, make uh, them uh, change the, those small doubts in the website to make this every, every clear to everybody. So, you know, so this is the kind of situation we're dealing in, and we're trying to be close as possible to everybody because, as Karin said, any information must be 100% correct when we as agents provide to our clients. If not, it will become a, a big problem, not only for the agent, but also for the school and, and everybody involved. So uh, that's pretty much what I've been seeing in Brazil in this perspective. Okay, good stuff. Um, okay, <clears throat> I've got a, a, a quick question. This actually came in via our survey. Um, that someone was asking us, and I'm interested to hear your your thoughts on this because this was something that actually a friend of mine who has worked within the medical profession raised with me a couple of weeks ago as well when we were discussing sort of what, what's happening currently here in the states as well in terms of mask policies and different things as well. Someone asked, <clears throat> "Is COVID here to stay, um, and and how are we adapting to it?" And and it, interesting enough, I, from my perspective as a, as a person of fit, I think it's here. You know, from the same way that the flu is now part of life and we have to get a flu jab every year and we, we take precautions against it. I think now that COVID is, is is not going to go away quickly, even if we get the vaccination rates up. So there's still going to be a requirement for some changes in how we operate and, and how students travel and things like that as well. I'm interested to hear from your perspective and um, sort of how how is this going to affect how you operate? Is, is it going to make a big change to your day-to-day -day operations within a school or within an agency? And how you're telling you know counseling students and um, and i'm also going to add ross into this as well in terms of you know from from a workshop perspective and and a, and, and a, a, you know what what significant changes do you think we're going to see that are going to be lasting changes to the way we work and the way that we operate as well moving forward and in fact if I, I, let's go straight to ross with that first of all <laughs> me. Yeah, I think it's scientifically indisputable that it's here to stay. I think the only diseases we've ever eradicated are through very um, strong vaccine programmes globally, and we've only done it with a few. So yeah, indisputably here to stay, we will learn to live with it. As you said, we will take uh, vulnerable people will take um, COVID flu jabs in the same way they take regular flu jabs. Hopefully we will have a vaccine soon that truly stops transmission and not only symptoms. And obviously that will help. Um, and it will become like other diseases and illnesses. We get vaccinated um, as younger people. Maybe you need vaccinations to travel into certain countries and it'll be, be managed how we do with other ones. In terms of permanent effects to a, to a workshop, I'm not entirely sure right now. I guess it depends how vaccination rates go and it will probably be tied into international travel anyway. I imagine each country, as they do now, will have their own requirements, perhaps, of vaccination or, or other um, sort of things you need to enter. I can tell you some of the things we're doing at Berlin this year, which is um, <laughs> which, which has been quite hard and comprehensive. Um, we now have a medical centre on site at the hotel, so should anybody uh, test positive or feel under the weather, they can safely isolate and seek medical attention we can do pcr testing from that same center so yeah if anyone feels sick but also for the convenience of those attending from abroad if they need a pcr test to return to their home country temperature checks when you walked in one-way systems we will all be uh, masks when you're walking around the venue we will all be swimming in an ocean of branded sanitizer i'm sure 
Um, we have kind of do-it-yourself antigen tests in everybody's hotel room. So we're asking them to do a, a test before they leave in the morning. Obviously, if anyone tests positive to the medical centre, um, where you get a proper PCR test. So I'm pretty confident in saying the Intercontinental in Berlin is probably the safest place in Europe um, during that first those first few days of November. Um, but whether we'll have to do that for, for future years, hopefully not. Um, but we'll have to wait and see. Brilliant. And does someone to jump in either from a school and agency perspective here in terms of what you think is, is changed or potentially changed forever moving forward? Well, I, I think I just, when you think back to the last 18 months, how much has become normal. Um, wearing of masks, the, the spacing, the even even the perception of COVID itself. I mean, the first six months, if, if you know, COVID was just this, it, it you know, you got news that somebody got COVID, you'd be really, really worried. It's, you know, it, it got a lot of news. I'm sure everybody now has, is, I've got people in their orbit that, that, have, that have had it. And for the most part, yeah, they've been not well, but they come, they come out of it. So, so I agree, this has now become normalized where, where the only thing that I think, um, you know, countries really care about, the markets really care about is can, um, can the systems, can the medical systems cope with any outbreaks? And I think that was the UK strategy back in the summer. They felt they had, you know, enough people vaccinated and that the, the symptoms weren't bad enough that the NHS wasn't going to crumble. And it, from the sounds of it, it did. We think we're seeing something similar here in Canada. So, so it will become normal. Will it ever return completely to, 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 to pre-pandemic? Who knows? Nobody, nobody really knows. Nobody knows what new variant is, could be on the horizon. So, um, so anyway, yeah, I, I think that it's, it's, um, there are certain features that certainly for the next year, I would say, uh, are here to stay. Masks are, are always going to be in the bag. Uh, hand sanitizers, um, you know, maybe maybe a little bit less hugging, <laughs> but I don't know. It'd be interesting to see uh, see see what kind of <laughs> what kind of body contact is made in, in Berlin, uh, where it's it's such usual, such a such a, uh, a warm event that you know. But it'll, it'll be interesting to see. I think in both Canada and Australia, we see an economy that really relies heavily on international students. And I think they're really feeling the effects. There's some great work opportunities, both in Australia when the borders open and in Canada right now, uh, for students who can work while they're going to college or on a, um, a work and study uh, or immigration track. I think there's a real sense that yes, the the challenges with COVID are here to stay, but we're getting better and better at offering different layers of protection. We've talked a lot about vaccinations and it's impressive what Ross and the team have done for ISEF. If you step back though, that's all because there's a strong demand for our products and a strong demand for mobility and a strong demand for um, our students and agents wanting, the, um, wanting these services. And I think we're excited by that continue to be challenged by it and do what we can to continue to make the schools safe. But we're heartened by people wanting to come back and, and travel and work and study in international destinations. That hasn't changed. Alex or Karen, do you want to jump in from an agency perspective here and maybe? Yeah. Well, definitely the marketing is more interesting, it's growing. 
agencies and institutions that are currently leading the market are those that have now how to take the advantage of technological resources and that their focus has gone beyond learning as a second language as it was at the beginning. Especially in Colombia, students are more inclined to invest in higher education programs that will allow them to work while studying, giving them more opportunities for migration. Um, but one point is that students are over-informed about courses and destinations. So to grow and keep relevant with them, our teams should be in the capacity to offer a higher education, learn every day of the updates of different countries, and be open-minded about new programs like blended learning that is here to stay. Yeah, maybe uh, what I could add uh, more towards the uh, the uh, disease itself or to the pandemic thing. Um, I also agree with Ross that the, of course, it's here to stay, but uh, vaccination and, you know, is going to develop more and more worldwide. So we're going to be used to, to deal with this easily in our lives. Uh, I believe this um, adding something different to what has been said it also becomes a personal issue for every single person, not only a student, a family, an agent, a school, or anything. It's really personal to, to, to yourself, you know? Uh, for example, myself, uh, it took me about three months to get back to real life after I, I got COVID <laughs> earlier this year. So, you know, it, it tends, it, I may take longer to feel confident to go anywhere in the world here and there as, as we all want to, you know? But at the same time, you know, when I talked to my daughter at home, she, she said, oh, I want to go abroad since last year. She was ready to go. So, for, like, for example, for myself as a parent, and we can, we can see this in our office as agents, uh, once uh, we feel uh, that each country is ready to take care of an international person, uh, you know, in their own hospitals or in their health system, you know, without any kind of... Uh, a longer line to wait because you're an international person or anything, you know, that you're really going to be taken care of. Uh, I believe everybody's going to be a few comfortable to go abroad anywhere. So I really believe that uh, we're going to reach this worldwide during 2022. So, um, yeah, that's what I think. <laughs> Brilliant, interesting. And, and another question I'm going to pose here as well, as we look at the kind of topic of, well, is this really the restart? I think there's been a couple of false dawns for, for certain markets over the past 18 months. And I think this time last year, we were all sitting in a slightly different position. Um, although I did certainly feel sometimes people were like, okay, three months time, it's going to happen. And then in three months time, we all went, no, in three months time, it's going to happen. And we're now sitting at a time where, where I certainly think optimism seems to be at its, at its highest at the moment. Um, a couple of people have sort of mentioned dates as we speak here, second semester 2022, next summer for short-term courses as well. In terms of from your perspectives, how are you feeling that, that things are going to, going to open up? And do you think this is the start of the, the restart of everything happening happening once more? Um, I'll start with, with Cam, you're the first on my screen here. <laughs> um, well, I think if we've learned anything in the last 18 months, is the, the real answer is we don't know. <laughs> Uh, we make we take guesses. It's like, oh, it feels like three months should be about right, or it feels like six months should be about right, and then you know there's a Delta variant come up or something else happens, and you know it, it doesn't happen. This is this this is different in that it's based a little bit more on evidence. People populations are now actually vaccinated, 
Um, you know, the, the, the severity of COVID isn't as, as, as bad as it, as it was earlier, just because of treatment now. So, so I think we, we're standing on a slightly more solid foundation in making these kinds of predictions. So I, I think that, yes, the, the truth is, is it does feel different. And I think that we really are at a restart. Um, and uh, so, you know, I think in the end, it's simply going to be about clarity around the rules of travel, you know, clarity around the rules of quarantine, yes or no, which, vaccine, which vaccines will be accepted. Um, once that gets clear, then I think you, you are going to be looking at, at, at a much more regular flow of, of, of traffic and people will, will feel more confident. And to, to Alex's point, I think, yeah, we're all on different parts of the spectrum. Some will be like, mm, maybe I'll wait a little bit longer. Others are like, just get me out of here. I, I need to get on a plane now. So it really is going to vary, but it does feel like we are on a, I think, a legitimate restart based on what, you know, what we're actually reading and, and hearing in the, uh, in the news media and with the, with the, uh, the medical resources, medical, um, organizations. I, I agree with what, what Kim said. And I think for us, we're starting to see more students, hundreds of students coming to our Canadian schools now every month. And that that's something that really wasn't, wasn't happening um, at all in 2020. And I think that gives us, um, of course, it's a little slower than we'd like, but that gives us confidence that we are turning the corner, that we're seeing people um, not just book aspirationally, but now book and show up. And that um, future bookings has really continued for us to, to grow. And the fact that they can now show up and see, oh, we had some challenges, as Alex pointed out, with ETAs and TRVs. But now that that's sorted, we've had students come and arrive for short-term studies in Canada. And I think that success at coming through either uh, through quarantine if you're not fully vaccinated or being allowed to join classes right away if you're fully vaccinated in Canada gives us confidence that it feels real and it, it's happening in, in our schools uh, every day right now. And I think that's a big difference to when we were talking last year or early this year, we were hoping and we weren't always seeing those, those increases in the schools. Chime in with an ISEF perspective. For us, for everything to be back to normal or the, the new normal, we need Australia and New Zealand to be open. I think it was Chris earlier who said Q2 of, of 2022 um, might be when, when that's happened. And I think that's a pretty good bet. And you're very specific, Ben, that we must choose a date. So I'm going to choose the 13th to the 15th of May 2022, purely because that's when ISEF Toronto is. I think actually Australia will be open before that. I think Australia Q1, I think New Zealand probably a little bit, uh, hopefully not too far behind in Australia. Well, I guess that we are, we are step by step now, and I consider that this is a really positive beginning. There are countries that are doing very well. For example, well, UK, 67% uh, of population are fully vaccinated. So there are countries that are is, is still too open for us. So we consider that in a near future, we will have more opportunities for our students, not only in terms of uh, courses and programs, but also in terms of destinations. Yeah, uh, what I could add uh, in my point of view is that we we kind of all went to zero <laughs> last March, you know, March uh, last year, 
So I, I kind of live every day as a new start, you know, as we've been restarting our lives in so many different ways uh, uh, since last year, since the day one of the pandemic, let's say. So nowadays, now we see that uh, business is really picking up for everybody. And uh, as I just mentioned before, uh, I really see uh, throughout, uh, especially the second semester of 22, as a really, you know, comeback uh, or a restart better than ever for all of us. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. It's really interesting to hear from, from your perspectives on that point of view. I'm, I'm going to maybe actually just slip in a question that, that's kind of came up from what you mentioned there about the UK having a 67% vaccination rate there as well. Um, I have uh, some close links to schools here in the USA. Um, and one of the things that we've noticed in, in some schools in the US is that students are still traveling, still able to travel, get their visas and, and come to the US. And indeed, some are, are filling up quite quickly in that sense as well. Now, the US possibly doesn't have the best uh, reputation worldwide for its vaccination rate. So do you think that's going to be an important factor for students that they're actually going to look and see what percentage of the country is vaccinated? You know, if I'm able to travel, will I still travel there regardless if that's a little bit lower or a little bit higher? Or do you think they're maybe going to say, actually, I want to go to a country that's going to have that higher vaccination rate as well? Well, Ben, I, th I think you can actually, you can you can go wide, you can go countrywide, but in a country, especially like the US, you can go into the state level because yeah. as you know there's huge differences between the states so you know typically of course in the northeast you know you see very high vaccinations rates certainly with our school in boston you know massachusetts has an excellent vaccination rate so that, that's something that we, we definitely focus on we try to um you know look at it at a, at a, at a, at a state level rather than countrywide because it's it's not that helpful especially in the, in the u.s uk canada i think you can make a stronger case for countrywide, but, but in the US, I think it's it's more on a state-by-state on -state basis. And, and in that case, Alex and Karen, from your point of view, do you think students are going to come in and, and say, I want to go to this specific state because I know, for example, Massachusetts has a has a higher rate of vaccination there? Or do you think that the pool of the attractiveness of the, the, the states, if you like, um, that they were traditionally looking at, um, you know, the, the states is, as a destination market is very focused on four or five main key international travel st states from that point of view. So do you think this is maybe going to mean that there'll be some, you know, more, uh, I won't say random, but unusual destinations or, or different destinations for your students now? Are they going to be looking for different locations according to where the, the vaccination rates are? Well, in Columbia's interesting calls, that's the case of Dubai, for example. They focus on the percentage of population fully vaccinated people. In fact, I guess they have the highest percentage with 83% of fully people vaccinated. And it was good because it helped not only the tourist sector, but also the educational sector. And currently we have a high percentage of students looking for that destination because, well, unfortunately here in Latin America, they're looking for opportunities. So it doesn't matter sometimes, not only the destination, it's also that if you have the opportunity to travel, if you have the opportunity to learn other language, and if you have the opportunity to work, it could be interesting, even if you know anything or know about Dubai. So definitely there are more destinations that are open and people are looking for different options. Not only for the percentage of vaccinate, it means that they look for flexible requirements to travel. 
Yeah, actually, I agree with Karen. You know, uh, I don't really see people in Brazil uh, deciding to go here or there because vaccination rates are up or down or whatever. You know, it's more like they see on the news that people are just uh, going to shows, to concerts, to stadiums, to normal life, to parks or whatever. And if they are uh, able to go there, I think they're just traveling. And once again, I would uh, repeat what I, what I said in my personal comment. Uh, it still becomes something really personal. Maybe for some people, you know, they uh, want to make sure to to see this thing uh, going away before uh, taking the risk to go abroad or anything. But, you know, uh, overall speaking, uh, it's more like uh, taking the first opportunity that's right there and they're just going to go for it. Interesting. It's no, it's it's interesting to hear you guys' perspectives, and I think that's going to be re really useful for for our uh, attendees as well. Kind of hearing these different points of view and how they're coming across as well. And um, the I'm going to kind of move the, the topic on slightly on to kind of how we can prepare for for what's to come. Because I mean, one thing we've kind of said is we're at a point where you know everyone said it is in steps, we're in stages, and we're maybe in the earlier stages, but we're all gearing towards this kind of restart as well. And um, one thing I think would be really interesting here is kind of over the past 18 months, we've all had to pivot, change strategies, try new things, do things differently as well. Is there anything that you think that you're going to continue to do that maybe you weren't doing before the pandemic? Um, or have you introduced a new strategy or a new thing that, that is kind of you, you think is going to be, you know, continuing forward? Um, I'm actually going to start with Ross on this one again. Sorry to keep chucking over to you, Ross, here as well. But I think it's really interesting because workshops for, for, for you know, uh, for, for one sense have been quite similar in terms of the, the, the format of them, maybe over the, the years as well. But you've obviously had to pivot quite a lot into online workshops and, you know, a, a potential hybrid model now as well. How do you think that's going to change for, for ISEF or how you can go forward now? And what, what strategies have you guys tried that maybe um, you think are going to stick going forward? You know what, luckily enough, we'd started talking about virtual events before COVID struck, but we were talking about them from a, a climate perspective more than a COVID perspective, but um, both both would apply moving forward. Um, and yeah, sort of harking back to Alex's point about it's different for everybody and flexibility being key. So absolutely, ISEF will offer hybrid events from henceforth moving forward. I imagine pretty much every event we do will be hybrid. There are certain markets that will remain virtual only um, just because it's hard to put on an event, though. It's hard for people to travel there. You've all frozen. Which... Oh, I think we just lost Ross there for a second. Um, we'll hope that he comes back online in just a sec. Um, but maybe I'll pass on to, <laughs> we'll, we'll move on. Cam, do you want to jump Well, yeah, maybe I'll just pick up a little bit on what Ross is saying there. I think that the, the virtual meetings, uh, the webinar, I mean, that's now part of our vocabulary. Uh, and I think that will continue. I think, I think it's convenient. It's, you can, you can, you know, get to, to the core of issues pretty quickly. Um, uh, you know, it used to be that, you know, everybody said you needed to do face-to-face. -face. That was the only way to, to do business and, and I think that there certainly is kind of there's a, there's a strong demand to get back to some version of face to face but I don't think I think we've, we've all learned through this that you can actually accomplish quite a bit um, virtually and uh, so I, I, I don't see that uh, disappearing um, anytime soon. 
not you know not 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 the least which is you know many schools have had their 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 budgets decimated so to get back on planes and you know do events and make contributions at, at anywhere near the level before the pandemic just isn't realistic so uh so i think there's a practical budgetary consideration but i think there's also a, just a practical you know getting things done more quickly uh more more efficiently via via mm-hmm. you know digital platforms that that will continue was my answer the point, Ben? You had to kick me out. <laughs> Not at all. We just got to the point where you'd uh, mentioned that the events moving forward were going to be hybrid. Uh, yes. um, I think pretty much all of our events will be hybrid, with the exception of some uh, smaller super niche events. There will be some markets for which we only do virtual events. The one we'd been talking about before COVID struck was Iran. Fantastic market. Do I want to fly a plane load of Americans there? Not particularly. Um, but sort of harking back to, to Alex's point that everybody is different. And one thing we have learned throughout the pandemic is some people love virtual events, some people hate them. Um, and there'll always be a market for both. And to, to be flexible and give people the flexibility if travel budgets are, are being reduced, as Cam said, or if there's um, institutional emphasis on, on not traveling so much for, for climate reasons or whatever else that may be, that we remain flexible um, and accommodate, are able to accommodate everyone in their desires. Um, and Alex, maybe you can jump in here from, a, from an agent perspective as well. Um, yeah, sure. Um, I believe that, uh, you know, as an agent point of view, uh, even talking to my, about myself, I was the one that always wanted personal meetings. I wanted to shake hands with everybody. <laughs> and then I, I also learned myself that we can be a lot more productive uh, working more online or, you know, even the home office thing, which is something kind of new for the Brazilian uh, way of life. Uh, has boomed during the pandemic and it, it shows companies that we can be a lot more productive with so many people in that sense, you know. And when we bring, we bring this to sales, what I, what I could say, uh, the more online we go with sales, let's say selling, and the way we are talking here, we're talking to a potential client, uh, in, in one side, less people we need at the office, but at the same time, we need more uh, IT resources. So we must be updated with a good software, with a with good tools to handle this the best, the proper way. And at the same time, that we may need less people because we're doing this online. We need better people because it's so much harder to close a sale or to close a new client talking to them virtually. So you know, so this is one of the positive things that I believe the pandemic ended up bringing to us somehow is that. Uh, Clients are more used and open now in Brazil for online uh, talking to an agent. Uh, and also, uh, it shows them, you know, that uh, an agent is still very, very important uh, in the, for international education. Because, uh, you know, even going online or during the pandemic, they needed, we needed to work so hard uh, to help them with cancellations, with, with funds, with changing, postponing programs and everything. So, you know, I believe there is a time that uh, there is no more place for beginners as an international education agent. You have to be really at an advanced level. We need to invest a lot in training, in sending our our people abroad to know the schools, uh, you know, to learn about this because there is a very high potential 
for good business as an agent if you are a top agent, if you are on top of your knowledge about everything. If not, you're going to be surfing. So um, that's the overall thing, I believe, uh, that's most important for me from the pandemic times. Interesting. Christopher, have you got anything to add here? Uh, some great points being made. I think for ILSC and Greystone College, we've invested heavily in technology that gives more services in a student-centric way. So students might not need to queue up in a campus. They can launch e-services. They can access information through our apps. They're not submitting paper-based tests, but some of them are now submitted um, using online forms. I think there's really interesting ways that we can enhance the student experience and leverage a lot of the technologies we've built um, over the last 18 months. And I think we're excited to see some of those stay and we think they really are beneficial for the student journey. Part of me hates to say it, but I think there really is sort of a, a genuine merging of, of the digital and the physical worlds uh, in the last you know, 18 months. You know, this is now the digital world really is much more of our, of, of our life. And uh, um, I think most of us are in this industry because of the, of the relationships, of the, of the personal contact. So that, that's never going to disappear. We're, you know, we're in this because at some point we do want to have that. As, I think, as Alex said, that face-to-face, -face, that handshake, that dinner. Like that, that's all. That's all part of the fabric, and I don't think that's going to disappear. But I think, as Chris says, you know, just the the um, the digital experience that students, that agents have of schools, of of agencies, of of students that are and parents who are having um, digital experiences of agencies. That's going to become much more normal now. Um, so I think that there's a lot of good about that, but for, for folks like me who are a little bit older, there's the, there's the sort of the uh, almost sort of resistance to that, but, but you know, you can't deny the, 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 the effectiveness and the efficiency of it. Karen, do you want to add anything else there? Um, well, like Alexander mentioned, uh, well, events will be hybrid and appointments with the students too. <laughs> so all the, tool, the technological tools that the schools are, or that institutions like advisor could provide us, help us to bring a better opportunity to our students. Because everybody has to adapt. And definitely uh, our new normal <laughs> will be a combination between the online part and the human part. And that's our, our decision. We have to prepare for it and we have to have the best uh, yeah, tools to do it. It's also a great segue here for me to jump in with a little bit of a plug, of course, for Advisor from that point of view. Because I think that's that's ultimately what Advisor was built to do and try and do is harness that personal contact. You know, we don't stand in the way of that personal contact. That still has to be there. You have to know your educators. You have to know your agents. It's such an important part of that relationship. Um, and what we want to try and do is then facilitate that in a technological way moving forward so that your partners are able to get all your school information and make sure that it's displayed properly to the students so that as an agency, you're you know getting the right message across to the students and also giving them accurate information from the partners from that point of view as well. And um, so I think there's definitely a meshing, as you said, said there, of the digital and, and sort of personal worlds there as well, which 
I would say kind of lets me give a little plug as well to our new partnership, um, which is not just the reason he is here, um, but obviously Ross joined us from ISEF today and Advisor and ISEF are delighted to have a new partnership um, that, we're in, that we've recently announced um, and that you'll see in action this week at ISEF Latin America. You know, when you sign into the, the Marcom system, you're going to see which schools are, and agencies there are present on Advisor that allows you to then connect with those partners and have that you know, that technological um, sort of follow-up to the in-person meeting, whether that be virtually or actually in-person uh, in the future as well as it's going to be. Um, and that's something I'm really excited about because I think that as a school, when I was one uh, many moons ago, um, it was one of those things that, you know, you, you're always kind of constantly follow-up and chasing up and trying to make sure everyone's got all the information, whereas now you can be secure that once you've connected through Advisor following your ISAF meeting, um, it really makes sure that the agent has everything they need to, to promote the school. And as an agency, you're secured that you have everything you need to, to follow on from that as well. Um, now, that's enough of a plug for now. Um, what I'm going to say is that we're actually going to move on to some of the questions now as well. So um, thank you, everyone, for, for joining us so far. Um, I'm going to address one question quickly that I got through the Q&A, which was asking uh, whether this will be sent out in an email later on. Yes, this webinar is being recorded, and everyone that registered is going to be sent a copy of that. And from that point of view, if you've got any colleagues that did not register yet, they can still register um, by tomorrow and receive a, a mailing of the recording out as well. So please do feel free to advise any colleagues to, to add to this and to add their names to the list. And um, I'm gonna just cover a couple of points here. Um, one, one that someone's Mauro's popped in here uh, from, from Dublin as well, agreeing with the panelists that students are much more confident in booking for programmes in Ireland as well. That's something I would say we've seen with an advisor as well. We're starting to see an uptake in the number of quotations and the number of uh, searches that are being done for Ireland following the recent news of the, the schools reopening last week. Um, and I think that's something that's going to be, I see Karen nodding her head as well, so I think that's maybe a trend you're seeing in Colombia as well, Karen. Um, yeah, we're waiting. We're waiting yeah. for Ironman as a potential destination for us. Yeah, I, I can see that as well. And um, now I'm going to just, uh, there's a couple of questions asked here as well. And one I'm, I'm very interested to ask in particular. Um, and it was the question of what do you think will happen to summer camps? Um, because many countries are letting their younger kids stay unvaccinated as well. Um, and I think summer camps and junior programs have been probably one of the, the, the most effective and hardest questions to answer, I think, over the past 18 months as well. Um, and not to put anyone too far on the spot here as well, but but maybe um, I'm including Cam and Chris from your perspectives. Obviously, I know, you get, I know from, from Cam, you, you have a lot of uh, junior programmes in the UK in particular as well. Um, how do you feel that's going to be affected um, and, and, and is it going to be a, a big factor for 2022? Well, <clears throat> we're seeing... Right? A huge increase in the number of, of inquiries, um, you know, already booking of, of, of seats and locations. So the demand is definitely there. Um, I think there's there's probably a little bit on, on the part of parents and agents, a little bit of, well, it'll, it'll get sorted out by next summer. We'll know what the rules are, vaccinated, unvaccinated, uh, ages, you know, I mean, I think that's the last age group that um, really has to be dealt with. But I think that um, so far, there, there's just the expectation, I think, from, from our, our agents, um, certainly in Europe, for the UK, uh, that, um, look, the demand is there. Parents want to put their kids on planes. Kids want to get back on planes. And so what the rules are at the moment, again, you know, we've seen it. 
I think as somebody's mentioned, you know, a, a country will come out with a, a policy, here's a new policy, and then once it's sort of, okay, what does that actually mean? There's always a lag. So, so we, the, the truth is we don't really know, but I think there, right now there's the, there's the faith, and I think that's based on some, some good solid evidence and experience that um, we will have a, a good summer next year. I think one of the things that is the, is the unknown, especially for um, summer centers like, like us, I think probably with, with ILSC and others, is the, for those that have the, the, the pop-up centers you know, with the universities and colleges, there may be rules around, well, I'm sure there will be rules around um, spacing and how many people can, can come onto these, these campuses. So there'll be a lot of outside our control um, and we'll just simply have to adapt to what we're, we're, we're told by our partners. I agree with that, Kim. I think as we as we prepare for next year, we're going to look to put as many controls in place and and uh, safety nets in place to try and run the camps as securely as possible um, in in a COVID world. I think realistically, we expect that vaccination will continue to be a key requirement to travel without quarantine, and so we think next year that it will still be fully vaccinated travelers who will be allowed to enter Canada without quarantine. And that may change the number of students that ultimately come to juniors, but time will tell and maybe maybe things change. But given what we see today, I, th I think that's what we're planning for next year and then how we do antigen tests and others, um, other layers of protection. But I think as a baseline, we're expecting that most of our summer camp um, participants, all of our summer camp participants will be fully vaccinated. Great, thank you very much for your answers, guys. Um, now we've got another question from Wilton. Um, and I think we've possibly addressed this a little bit earlier as well with, with Ross explaining that obviously, online fairs work for some people and, and, and don't for other people as well. Um, but Wilton's asked about alternative sourcing and information for students and parents, because um, they found that they're not uh, working quite as well with online fairs. Now, I'm surmising here that this is directly to parents and students, because certainly um, I feel like from my experience in school meetings with, with that I've had with schools and when I was a a school last year, meetings with agents, online meetings were quite effective. Um, so I wondered from that point of view, maybe from an agency's perspective as well, in terms of when you're counselling with parents and, and, and students as well, are there any effective strategies or things that you found, you know, that, that maybe engage the parents a bit more um, in markets like Latin America, where people are maybe not quite as used to doing uh, online meetings or counselling? Well, here people is familiarized, is familiarized with online meetings. They are just adapting as everybody. <laughs> so it's working well. Uh, we know something different, for example, in Colombia, it's different between Bogota and cities like Medellin or Bucaramanga that are smaller. And well, the market is different, but definitely they are able to, to have those, meet, those, those meetings in that way. Yeah, um, what I see in Brazil that for agents talking to families online, everybody is more and more open to this. But uh, I don't don't really see a lot of people still, uh, you know, uh, looking forward to buy online programs instead of going to in-person programs abroad. There is a few of people looking for that that those programs, but I would only I would say that you're gonna have maybe a sales success with online programs in Brazil. 
if the price is really, really, really more, uh, really, really cheaper than the usual program. Some schools, you know, some institutions, they kind of offer the program at the same cost, uh, in the online and, uh, uh the in-person pro, in the in-person program. And it doesn't really uh, go through for the sales channel. So, uh, you know, uh, that's what I feel. Uh, that's what I see here, actually. Interesting. That's, and, and I would just add maybe my own personal opinion as well, in case this is looking at more of the, the school agency perspective of meetings as well and workshops. Um, I, I think you've got so much greater reach at an online workshop where you maybe wouldn't normally um, at an in-person workshop in a lot of the cases. So I know when uh, when I signed up to, to an ISF and saw the number of meetings that we had available in there, I was like, whoa, it's almost double what we would normally have, um, which is great as an opportunity because it allows you to meet with more clients, maybe clients that you wouldn't have and people you, you maybe wouldn't have gone to travel um, and, and visit as well. So I think actually the, the online world from a, a school's perspective of promotion has opened up um, markets that we maybe wouldn't have traditionally looked at and certainly maybe not have had the budget to go and go and visit uh, as, as frequently as we might need to as well. Um, and that's obviously another area through Advisor that you can uh, have a look at as well through our agent discovery tool. So both uh, schools um, can find agencies through the discovery tool, maybe in markets that are a bit more unique or that you're not currently traveling to. And from the point of view of agents, you're able to find all the schools that are on Advisor through the school discovery feature as well. And where, of course, you'll find the magnificent campuses of CATS Global Schools and also ILSC. Um, and now, of course, you'll also be able to see on the advisor uh, agent and school discovery features, those accredited by ISEF or those attending ISEF as well. So when you look through your, your, your features, um, you'll now start to see those logos popping up as well, which gives you that extra layer of comfort in the people that you're connecting with through the platform as well. The only thing I wanted to add to that, um, Ben, I guess, and, and, and Ross as well, is that certainly one of the, one of the benefits that I perceived when we signed up for, for Berlin was the having those schedules, the sort of the pre, you know, the morning schedule that was relevant for one part of the world, the ones that for that are in Berlin, and then afterwards is that you're connect, you're able to connect agents, specific agencies with specific you know specialties with you know your people in your markets. So you, there's, there's that immediacy of being able to get things done more quickly versus the big events where it's like, oh, you know, I'll introduce you to my you know, manager from Japan or from Brazil, then there's, there's a, there can be a lag. So you're, you're, there's a speed element that I think with this hybrid model and efficiency, again, that I think we'll be able to have that uh, normally, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't be there. So, um, so yeah, so I'm just, just another sort of pitch for let's keep the, uh, keep the, the hybrid uh, model going as much as possible. And you're absolutely right, Cam, there's three times as many meeting slots than there has been previously. So you could argue, you know, the events are, you are right, it should be three times as much as it is well, usually. Here we go, here we go. Honestly, we, we spend most of our time um, speaking to schools, coaching them about the importance of preparing for a workshop and making sure, making sure you're sending invites to the right agencies and not just a, a blanket approach. And then how to follow up. And by far and away, the hardest part is, is the follow-up. So again, using technology to, to improve the efficiency of business practices. It's so easy now with advisor for schools, a couple of clicks, change all the send all the prices, send all the brochures, sign a contract. You can be recruiting students within days of leaving Berlin. It's uh, future is bright. I couldn't agree more. And on that positive note. We're going to wrap up today's webinar. I'd like to say a massive thanks to Karen, Cam, Christopher, Alex, and Ross. It's been a real pleasure having you all here. Thank you, 
to everyone that's attended and registered. And um, we hope you've enjoyed it. Um, and we hope you enjoy watching the recording, if you're going to watch the recording as well. Um, one final note, um, Asad, I, I see you've popped in here a couple of times asking um, about uh, the use of advisors as a CRM. Please do feel free to visit advisor.io um, and book a demo with any of our team. We'll be delighted to meet with you and take you through the ins and outs of the platforms. And a huge thanks to everyone again for attending. Um, have a fantastic start to the week. For those attending ICF Latin America, you'll no doubt see us there. And for everyone else, have a great week and we'll speak to you soon. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Bye -bye. Thank you. Bye.